Praise the Lord. Welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. I am Pastor Curtis Hutchinson. Glad to have you with us today, whatever day that might be for you. But we're here in the studio today on the third day of August, 2018. And uh, we're studying the uh, book of Galatians. We'll begin chapter 4 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turning there to chapter 4. And uh, before we get into that, I just want to remind everyone that everything we do here at Crossway Church is uploaded to my YouTube channel, Curtis Hutchinson 316. You can even watch there live <coughs> on uh, the YouTube channel. Uh, you can watch uh, on my Facebook page, Pastor Curtis, or you can watch through Roku on the channel Sermon.net and just type in Crossway Church, you'll find us there. Uh, so I'm excited about all the avenues God is opening up for us to be able to put the gospel, to publish His Word out there to the world and all who will uh, have ears to hear. Uh, also, uh, we have a determined conference camp meeting coming up. We march on. Here it is. We'll hopefully next week get it on the screen uh, behind me. But it's September the 13th through the 16th. And uh, we will have all these pastors that I'm about to uh, uh, mention uh, that will be coming in from these different places. And I encourage you to, to be here. It starts on a Thursday night at 6 o'clock. Pastor Wayne Voss will open it up that night. The next morning at 10 a.m., Pastor Mark Goldwire from DeRitter, Louisiana. And by the way, Pastor Wayne Voss is from Greenwood, Mississippi. And then uh, Friday at 2 p.m., uh, Pastor Felix Almanza from the Houston uh, area. And then Friday night, uh, Pastor Ross Kibido, which is also from Mississippi. Uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi is where he pastors. And then Saturday morning uh, at 10 a.m., we will have Pastor Patrick Hatter from Junction City, Arkansas. And then Saturday at 2 p.m., Pastor Preston Nasal from Sydney, Ohio. And then Saturday at 6 p.m., Pastor Luke Pogue, who's pastoring in Yapora, Mississippi. And then Sunday at 10 a.m., Pastor Don Ragsdale will close out, and he is also from Mississippi. And so I encourage you to uh, be here with us that uh, week, uh, Wednesday. Uh, really, it'll be Wednesday because I'll be ministering Wednesday night, and then camp meeting starts Thursday night. But uh, lunch will be served free of charge Friday and Saturday, and then Saturday morning also there will be 8 o'clock breakfast, and I'll be speaking during that time. It's the only time I'll be ministering uh, just a short uh uh, a ministry time for me to whoever comes to breakfast, so I encourage you to be here uh, uh, for that. And if you need any more information on that, just email me at curtishutchinson at att.net, or you can call my house phone, which is 903-799-7181 if you need information concerning hotels or anything of that nature. So, praise God, I'm excited about my Romans teaching that I'm doing right now as well. It's all being uploaded to my YouTube channel. Again, that's Curtis Hutchinson 316 every Monday. By lunch, there's a new episode uploaded there. And by Thursday, every week, there's a new episode uploaded uh, on my YouTube channel there by lunch. So avail yourself to those things. I'm thankful to be able to have the time now to study more and to share more of God's Word uh, for you and for our people here at Crossway Church. Praise the Lord. Galatians chapter 4 is where we'll begin today, verse 1. We're halfway through the book of Galatians. We've done the first three chapters, and now we'll go into the last three chapters. We started the study of uh, Galatians back in November. And so here we are uh, about, to, well, we just entered into August of the next year. So uh, it takes a little while because I'm not just reading the Bible. We're studying the Word. And we're not called to be Bible readers, we're called to be students of the Word. Study the Word, God says. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be here, to be in Your Word. God, I pray that we would have uh, today received when this teaching is over, that which You desire for us to have, that which will enlighten us, that which would be engrafted in our hearts, our souls, that which would show us a greater picture of Your Son, Jesus, and all that He's accomplished for us. And Lord, we just 
just ask you for that daily bread that we desperately need today. And we ask it in the name of Jesus himself. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Galatians chapter 4 is where we'll start. And the Bible says here, Now I say uh, that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. And I believe that when the Apostle Paul says, now I say, he's not blasting them with his authority like now I say, like Jesus did. He is saying, now what I'm trying to tell you. Because he's been, the whole letter, we need not ever uh, be traveling through the letter to the Galatian churches and forget the context. You must at all times remember the context of this letter, which is grace versus law. That's what it is. It's a letter sent to a church who was struggling with uh, their faith in justification. And they were being pulled out uh, by the legalists, the Judaizers, with their uh, uh, something that had been disannulled and done away with. And now they were trying to bring these Christians, spirit-filled saints of God, back under the law, the place that God can't work, the place that's weak and nothing more than beggarly, ele- beggarly elements, the Bible calls it. And so we must always need to remember the context of this letter. So when Paul says, now I say, he's me, now what I'm trying to get you to see is this, that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. He's referring to those that are under the law, which was a type of being a child. You know, it, back in the in the Jewish days, and probably even now in, in Israel, uh, what they did was, even though the child would grow up and become the heir of the estate, he would be Lord of all of it. He, he was no different than the servants when he was a child. He, he could, it didn't matter what he said, didn't matter what the servants said, didn't matter what he did. He wasn't in a place of rulership, neither were the servants. He's equal. Look at what the Bible says. And he's referring to those that are under the law. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Think about that. Your child, your son, one day he's going to grow up, he's going to have the whole estate, he's going to get it all. But while he's a child, it ain't his. It really is his. It's going to be his. It really is his, but he can't operate and function in it because he's only a child. Amen. So when you back up and you look back to chapter 3, Verse 23, it says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law. We were shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. And he says in verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. And that word means tutor. Under law. And look what it says. It does in verse 24. To bring us unto Christ, who is our inheritance. Christ is our inheritance. But when we were under the law, we, we couldn't get that inheritance. Talking about the Jewish people, they were under law. In the old covenant, they couldn't even go to heaven when they died. They had to go to paradise because the blood of bulls and goats, the Bible says in Hebrews, God was never pleased with. It never took sins away. It never took one sin away. It only covered them from year to year. Thanks be to God, our sins are no longer covered by the blood. Our sins have been removed and taken away by the blood. We no longer live in types and shadows. When we die, we go and be with the Lord because what we live in is no longer a Temporary something coming, speaking of our salvation, it's something we already have. And theirs was just something coming. So what he's trying to get these, this church in Galatia to understand is that the heir, as long as he is a child, there's no difference between him and the servant, though he is Lord of all. Think about that. Think about Jesus. He comes, he's a child, and even though he has great wisdom and growing daily in wisdom, and but he doesn't step into his inheritance until his ministry begins. 
He's living at home with mom and dad, learning how to make boats or tables or chairs, whatever carpenters made in that day. But and 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 what he's trying again, we we don't need to lose sight of this. He's trying to get us to see that under the law, you're just like a child. It's immature spirituality. It's spiritual. How should we say it? Immaturity. To be under the law. And these people today who are going back to like this Hebraic root stuff and they're going back and focusing on the Sabbath rest and, and trying to only do things on Saturday and they're going back to a place of spiritual immaturity. Back to a place under the law, under tutors where you, you're not walking in your inheritance. Now you're back in a place of a child where you're no different than the servants. And Jesus said, you're no longer my servants. Now you're my friends. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's good news. So let's read this verse 1 again. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Now that word tutors is the same word in verse 24 we read, schoolmaster. In verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, it was our tutor when we were under it. And you and I uh, have learned Romans 2, 14 and 15, make a note of that. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep in that, but Romans 2, 14 and 15 reveal to us Gentiles that, yes, uh, we are Gentiles. No, we're not Jewish people. And... The law they had of Moses and all the ceremonies and rituals and rites and all those things, we weren't under all those things, but we, we did have the law of God in our hearts. The Bible declares that. Let's look over there and see it. All right? I see the look on your face. Look over there and see it. Romans 2, 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law... These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Wow! Even as Gentiles, we show the work of the law written in our hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else accusing one another. Think about that. Even though we're Gentiles, we weren't born under the Jewish customs and laws, but nevertheless, the way we live proves that law, same law, is written in our hearts. So we're all born under law. We're all born under that tutor, that schoolmaster, uh, uh, that, that, that is not doing anything but telling us what to do and reminding us we can't do it. But also the third thing the law is doing is pointing us to the one who's coming who can. Hallelujah. And de- and we'll do it. That's what the Bible says. Look at verse 24, chapter 3. And you have to back up and go forward sometimes when you're studying the Word. It's how you rightly divide the Word. Amen. You don't reach out to something that's not in the Word. You, right here studying, you reach back. You reach forward because the Word defines the Word. The Word interprets the Word, not us. Amen. The Word interprets the Word. The Holy Spirit gives us the interpretation. So when we look back to verse 24, the Bible says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, was our tutor, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And this is proof. The law can't save you. The law cannot justify you. While you're under the law, you cannot be justified. Let's, let's, let's talk about that for a minute because even if you have been justified by the blood of Jesus, by your faith in what He did at Calvary, if you're pulled out by the Judaizers, if you're pulled back under law today by people who tell you, you have to do this, you have to do that to really be saved, or... Okay, you're saved, but you have to do this, this, and this to experience the power of God, to find deliverance, to, to find this, and to be, you know, to walk in the power of God. And you go back under law, then you go back into a place where you're not even walking in, in the promises. You can't walk in the promises under the law. And you leave the path of the just. You are just if you've believed in the blood of Jesus for the atonement of your sins. You're justified. You didn't do anything to become justified, but believe in the one who is the justifier. 
Jesus and what he did at Calvary. But if you move your faith from him and what he did at Calvary to something you do, and that's what they were doing, even though the Judaizers were trying to keep them or pull them under the law, something that even was in the Scriptures, listen, that's been disannulled. That's been done away with. It no longer has a purpose for us except that of morally living. It cannot save us. There's no power there. And if we leave the path of the just, then we leave the path of being an experience uh, to, to exp- of experiencing the blessings, the, 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 the inheritance. Think about that. If you go back under law, you go back under a, un, into the place where you're no longer walking on the path of the just. Yes, you're justified if you're born again by faith in the blood, but God's looking to see, is your life now, are you walking on the path of the just? There is a difference. And we go back to chapter 2 and Peter, he's justified. He's been used by God greatly. But yet in a moment's time, fear grips his heart. He moves off the path of the just. And God sees it so necessary that he raises Paul right up to rebuke him face to face in the company of the whole crowd. Because if you leave the path of the just, then you leave the place God can work in your life. And that's what really the, the ultimate purpose of the letter to the Galatians is all about. If you leave this, if you go and you are circumcised now to, to, to think you're getting righteous because of that, then you fall from grace. Christ can no longer profit you or affect you. That's in chapter 5. You'll see it. Chapter 1, verse 6, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, I marvel that you've so soon removed yourself from the one that called you. We can do that. I've done that. I don't want to do that again. I want to stay focused on what it is that made me just. Amen. And what the only thing is that will keep me on the path of the just. And there are millions in our own nation today who would pull you off the path of the just, though you be just, and put you on a path of self-righteous, back under the law, back under a tutor. And you remember, the Bible says you no longer have need to be taught by everybody. Because that the anointing, which is the truth, is in you. You don't need to go back under law. You need to stay on the path of the just. Amen. That's good stuff. So, Let's read it again. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. There is a time appointed of the Father. And when I read this, and in my studies, I, I read behind several uh, commentators, and one guy was saying how, you know, the Lord had waited for this this time, this was what God considered the fullness of time. And as God looked, you know, of the history of his people, how Adam and Eve sinned, he had to get them out of the garden, he went with them, and then he raised up different leaders, at powerful powerful men that he would raise up, such as uh, uh, Noah, he, had, he started over with Noah. Then he started over with Abram. Then he started over with, with, with David. Then he started over with Moses. Then he started, it was always a, not really a complete start over, but it was a bringing back to, to a place where God could keep himself among his people and his people walking forward until the time that was full. The fullness of time. And you know, by the time Jesus showed up, <clears throat> we need to think about this. When Jesus finally showed up, the Jewish religion was nothing more then than a traditional legalistic nothing. A big bag of look at me, who I am, and it wasn't even about the people anymore. And that's the whole point of God creating a people for himself so he could be about his people you understand that? It ain't just so God could be Mr. God. He, he, he's, his ultimate purpose is to be glorified. But let me tell you today, while God is being glorified, the people of God are being blessed. 
Hallelujah. That's the whole... He says He created us for His good pleasure. It pleased Him to create us. And all things that were created were created by Jesus, the Bible says. That's powerful. And He created us because it pleased Him to create us. What He saw His creation would be, He created us, He loves us. And all through the history, He's had to step in in a powerful way because we couldn't keep going if He didn't. We can't, listen, we can't do anything in the New Testament without Jesus. And you better hear me this morning. They couldn't do anything in the Old Testament without Him. He didn't walk among them as Jesus, but He was there. He was there doing what had to be done through the ages. If He was not there intervening, I got news for you. No, we wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't have made it past the garden. He had to show up. God has to keep showing up. Thank God He keeps showing up in our lives. Praise God. He keeps showing up in our lives, reminding us that He's God and we're not. His plan works and ours don't. His his plan is perfect. And, you know, He keeps showing up to redirect us. Praise God for that. If He don't keep showing up, then we we, we can't keep showing up. We won't make it. Bible says, he says about his own people, my people perish for lack of knowledge, and it's the knowledge of him and his way. And so, you know, we need to know these things. And, but this was the fullness of time that, and think about this, even at this point when Jesus showed up, the Gentile world was at a, a just an ultimate flop. There were, I mean, all the gods they'd worshipped by this time, they realized that they might have still been trusting in false gods. But you know what? I believe in the heart of man There's God, that man's really not made. He wasn't made to, to worship idols and rocks. And there's always a lack of assurance. There's never a 110% uh, confidence or assurance in laying down beside a rock that you carved. You can't have a, a confidence. You may think you do, but there's, only, there's, there's an assurance and a confidence that only God can give an individual when they're worshiping Him. Amen. And at this time, everything, everything was a fly. I believe that this was the fullness of time, that this was the time that Jesus had to step into the scene. Had He not and done what He did, then everything would have just been wrapped up and it would have just been thrown out. This was the fullness of time. And that's what it says. The appointed time of the Father here in verse 2. And You know, I don't want to go back under the law. Under the law, you're just a spiritually immature child. That's what we are under the law. Uh, But it says in verse 3, Even so we, Paul's bringing himself into this picture here. We, we. When, when somebody says we, that's talking about you and me. That's a we. <laughs> Even so, we, when we were children, and remember he's talking about under the law, and he goes on to prove it with what he finishes verse 3 out with, were in bondage under the elements of the world. The law is nothing more, the rites, the rituals, the ceremonies, is the elements of the world. And it's proof, we can see this, back up to verse 23 again in chapter 3, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. When would it be revealed? At the appointed time of the Father. But until then, we were in bondage under, we, Paul said, now think about this, this is the Apostle Paul talking about if anybody's got room to boast, I got room to boast. And then he qualifies himself in all the legalistic things, all his ties to Israel, the tribe of Benjamin circumcised on the eighth day, blah, 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 my resume before God. <laughs> But he says there ain't no need in boasting in all that. Because it, all that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. It was just beggarly elements. And even though at the time it was what God called them to do, never get, never mistake, uh, the law, uh, 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 the law is different from the promise. 
You don't get the promise through the law. The promise was given to Abraham 400 plus years before the law came. The promise was given to Abram. Actually, the promise was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But when God showed up and gave, made promise to Abram, and then 400 and whatever years later, the law came through Moses, the law did not get rid of the promise. The promise still stood. But the promise to be grasped would have to be seen from under the law while you're under the law. I, I can't work for the promise because it was by faith, not works. And that's the whole point of this letter. You can, if you go back and think you've got to do something to get it, circumcised, even water baptism, anything you think you have to go do to get it, then you, you disqualify yourself from the promise because you can't work for it. You can't do a legal work yourself. You, and that's the law, is anything you think you can do to get the promise of God. It can't be given to you unless you receive it free. If you try to work for it, you can't have it. Amen. All right. Even so, we, when we were children, he's talking about under the law. We were under tutors. We were under governors. We were waiting for that appointed time of the Father. We were actually waiting for the promise to come walking down that dusty road. We were waking, waiting for the promised seed of the woman promised in the garden. We were waiting for the appointed time of the Father. We were children. We were in bondage under the elements of the world. And if you'll look straight across your page in verse 9... Look at this, it says, but now, verse 9 of chapter 4, but now after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Think about that. Going back to the law, back under the law, it's, it's weak. The law is weak in that it's weak through our flesh, the Bible says in Romans 8.3. Let's turn over there and look at that. This is a Bible study, right? Uh, Romans 8 and 3 tells us something we need to know. Uh, I think we do, but uh, you don't know anything you know well enough, so I believe that too. Isn't it amazing how easy we can forget something that's spiritual that we need to know? Well, we, we don't forget what they did ugly to us last Friday at Walmart. But what we'll forget, man, I tell you, because every, everything that's spiritually right for us is a push for us to, 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 is a push against all that. There's a push against us. And it's amazing how, isn't it, isn't it amazing how you can just wake up in the morning thinking about negative things? Oh, it's just me? Okay. Well, I wish they'd get right. I wish they wouldn't do that. Why'd they say that? You wake up and it's just everything. And you know, there's a way out of that. There's a way out. The Bible says we can bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. For me, that's a full-time job, even overtime. That's overtime. Bringing every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, vain imaginations, every thought, I as a child of God now, born again by the Spirit of God, have the power to bring every thought captive, capture it and take it somewhere to the obedience of Christ. Amen. That's in the Bible. Hmm. So, Romans 8 and 3 says, For what the law could not do, everybody say the law couldn't do it, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, Romans 8, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, which is under the law, but after the Spirit, which is under grace. Oh, that's just good stuff. I can't believe y'all ain't hitting the ceiling up in here. That's good stuff. The law was weak through our flesh. And that's what Paul means when he says here in verse 9 of chapter 4, Galatians, and I know I skipped some stuff, but some, we'll go back. But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly 
elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. Notice, he's referring here to going back under law, talking to Gentile Christians who are being begged, pleaded with to come back under law. You have to be circumcised or you're not saved. You have to keep the law of Moses or you're not saved. And he's telling them, if you go back, you're going back to a weak and beggarly place. I got another. Let's look at Hebrews this morning. Oh, yeah, this is good stuff. Hebrews 7, verses 18 and 19. We're talking about Paul, and we can't really just say Paul. It's the reach of the Holy Spirit, who is God, reaching through the Apostle Paul into these Galatian Christians and reaching into the church today as well. Hebrews 7, verses 16... Let's read verse 15. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude, likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily, that means truly, there is truly a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. I hope you see that. I hope you highlight that. The law is weak. And the law is unprofitable. Mm. Think about that. Verse 19 tells us what it means by when the writer of Hebrews says that it is unprofitable. It is really not unprofitable for moral sake. You shouldn't kill. You shouldn't steal. And if you see the law and you can obey the law, and you, but you can't without the Holy Spirit. It's good for to look at and know it's not right to kill. It's not right to commit adultery. And it's all the things the law says. But look at what it says in verse 19. Because the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Notice here in Hebrews, the Word of God is still saying, you can't draw nigh to God under the law. You can't draw nigh to God under the law. In Ephesians 2.13, the Bible says we've been brought near to God by the blood. Hallelujah. And listen, it's either the law or grace. The law is what we do, and grace is what Jesus did on the cross. By the shedding of His blood, can we come near to God, be in relationship with the Lord, and walk with God? Under the law, we cannot walk with the Lord. We cannot be in a fellowship with the Lord under law. It's weak. It's beggarly. It places us in a place where we're no longer being, and here's just a confirmation again, where Christ can no longer profit us because the writer of Hebrews says it's weak and it's unprofitable for perfection. That means when you were born again, You are complete in Christ Jesus, your heavenly status. You're in Christ at the right hand of the Father, and everything there is perfect. But your condition here, your walk here, your walk here is we're called to walk in a place where Christ is allowed to perfect the work He began. And if we go back under law, that perfect work stops. Because He must do the work, but if we go back under law, law is us working. Grace is Him working. Oh, this is good this morning. Oh, this is so good. Hallelujah. I hope you'd hit the share button. No matter if you're watching this six months down the road, and the rapture's already happened, hit the share button, glory to God. I know they'll come cut your head off, but you will have ministered to somebody. (laughs) So... Is that helping anybody this morning? When you move around in the Scriptures and you see that God through the Word is saying that the law is weak, it can't do it because of our weak flesh. Uh, and even after we're saved, the law we don't go back under law. Just because we have the Spirit of God now, now we can keep the law. We can't keep the law. The only way the law can be kept is if our faith is in the one and what he did at Calvary, the one who kept the law. There's only been one man who ever kept the law perfectly. That was Christ. 
And as long as our faith is in Him and what He did there for us, then we are walking in that place where the Lord is continuing to do that perfect work. Doesn't mean we've yet obtained, we've arrived. We're not finished yet here. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That should let you know your status is different. And I could get off all up into that this morning because he is not, he is not conforming our flesh. So what is he conforming? Our new man, our spirit man. Amen. So that should help those that think that the spirit man, the new man, is, he, he just, he's, he's already everything he's going to be. What? No, he's not. The Bible even talks of the Spirit. There can be even filthiness of the Spirit. So there are people out there teaching that it's, it's your Spirit that, that uh, is complete. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong. They teach that you, you can't even sin. Well, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. Even we can, we can, there can be filthiness of the Spirit. He's not conforming my outer man. That's going to die. You can look in the mirror and see it's dying every day. But you listen, he's conforming who we really are. The new man he created in righteousness and true holiness, that man is being conformed. That man is maturing. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. Even so, verse 3, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. All through the Old Testament, God's people were under law. And as long as they had their faith in the sacrifice, which was appointing to that promise, the seed of the woman that would come one day in the fullness of times, that we'll get to in a minute, then they were still in bondage. They were in bondage. Do you understand that nobody in the Old Testament had what you have? Not one. Not one, not David, not anybody had what you have today. A constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that proves because they did not have that, they could not live a sanctified, inward, sanctified life and be conformed into the image of Christ. They couldn't do that. They didn't have that. You, to be sanctified, for a sanctifying work in you to be going on, you have to have a continual flow of the Holy Spirit. They did not have that. That's why the new covenant has better, it's a, it's a better covenant with better promises. Hallelujah. The Lord don't just show up periodically in your life when you're in trouble or when there's a giant or when there's a seed across. You have the constant, constant, can you say constant? Our God is constantly within us. He never leaves. He never forsakes us. He's dwelling in us now. They did not have that. Therefore, they could not walk in a place of being inwardly sanctified. When the Lord would show up and say, sanctify the people, that means they started doing stuff with the pots and the kettles and, and sprinkling all kind of outwardly stuff. But they were always in bondage. The law is a, t is a bondage. Because you, you listen... If you can't go to heaven when you die, there's a, there's a certain degree of bondage there. And if you don't have a complete, at all times, indwelling Holy Spirit, there's bondages there. The blood of bulls and goats, God says He was never pleased with that. Well, what was He pleased with then? He was pleased in those who offered bulls and goats, and they had their faith way down the road beyond what they were doing. Think about that. Beyond what they were doing for even the offering of animals, what God told them to do was still something they did. It was, it, was, it was pleasing God for them to do what He told them to do, but the only ones He was ever really pleased with, not just because they were offering sacrifices, but the ones He saw in their heart had their faith in the promised Redeemer. And I remember Chastity one time brought it to my attention, probably three or four years ago, some story, I won't even know the names, but of somebody ran and grabbed the horns of the altar, thinking that God would save them because they'd committed a horrible sin, and God saved them. But then there was another guy that ran and grabbed the horns of the altar and God killed him. Because it ain't about what you do, it's about what you're believing with the heart. So, you know, it's, it's like whoever, uh, who was it that the two sinful boys of Eli, 
Phineas and Hophni, whatever their names were, they, the Israel was being defeated. They thought by going and just getting the Ark of the Covenant and taking that out in the midst of a battle that God would have no choice but to save them. It didn't work. They took the Ark of the Covenant, which was symbolic of His presence in the Old Testament. They took it out there. They were defeated. Those two boys died. Eli died. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. It ain't about what you do. It's never been about what you do. It's been about hearkening to the voice of God who will always point you to the Redeemer in which alone, there alone is victory. In the promise, not in what we do. There's no victory in water baptism because that's what we do. There was no victory in offering the blood of animals, and some people may not like that, but the only the victory came through offering the blood of the animals because their faith was in the promise of the seed of the woman. I'm sure all throughout the Old Testament, people just got in the ritualistic mode of killing an animal and shedding the blood. Well, we got to do it, you know. But those who did it with their faith in the coming Redeemer. It's like people in the church today. We just get in a a mode, well, we got to go to church, you know, and we should. But if we're just going to church and our faith is not in the cross, we're, we're pretty much, even though we've got way more than they got, we can pretty much be in the same boat of bondage again. Amen. This is just better than your amen in this morning. That's all right. I'll shout all afternoon. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Notice there's a colon there because he's about to say something. If you see a colon, he's about to really get a little more specific about what he's talking about. He says in verse 4, but... Everybody say, but. Even though when I was a child, I was in bondage under the elements of the world. And here again, don't forget, he's talking about people under the law. He's talking about the child under the law, under age. Though he be Lord of the whole estate, he's no different than the servants at this young, spiritual, immature place under the law. That's what he's talking about to the church in Galatia. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time, of the time, was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Powerful, isn't it? I love Galatians chapter 4, especially these particular scriptures. The fullness of the time refers to a time, and I've already shared this with you this morning about Israel was so far off track, all they were doing really was denying God with every breath. And as Titus would write in chapter 1, verse 16, they profess they know God, but they deny Him with their works. Do you understand that you can deny God with your works? If it's not the work of the Holy Spirit through you, then it's just our works. And if it's just our works, and I know a lot of the church don't like this, don't really understand it. I wouldn't have never understood it without the truth of the cross. But it's not Jack Daniels and pot and drugs and illicit sex and all the stuff out there in the world in which we deny God. It's with our works we deny Him. We profess we know God and we may know God. And we may be, as Paul would say, we may be known of God. But are we denying Him with our works? You see, we are called to walk in works, Ephesians 2.10. We've been ordained to walk in the works that are in Christ Jesus. Think about that. But we can also, if our faith is, if we go back under law, We're denying Him by our own works. Because under law, it's just you working. And what does that spell? What does that equal? Self-righteousness. 
I go back under the law. Now I've made it about what I do, self does. So now I'm claiming that my righteousness may not, my status of righteousness may not have come by what I do, but the path of righteousness I'm on is because of what I'm doing. And see, both are very wrong. I'm not made righteous by being under the law, and I cannot be on the path of righteousness when I'm under law. We all know that. We're even learning that more, being engrafted even deeper in our hearts. You, You can't, under law, you can't by works do anything really but deny God. I could be in church with my hands lifted, tears rolling down my face, and if my faith is not in the sacrifice of Christ, if my faith is placed in anything else, other, anything other, even biblical things in the Bible, if that's where I move my faith to outside of the cross, then it's just me back under law working, and I'm in bondage, even though I don't know it. That's why most of the church today uh, is experiencing the same problems and sinful lifestyles of the world, because they're under the law. The world's under the law. If we go back under the law, we go back under bondage just like they're in bondage. We have more than they do, but why would I want to want to step into a place and inherit the promises and then go back in a place of spiritual maturity? You know what that's like? And I, I think I said it last week or, or recently, that, that's like a man going back out and standing on the corner and sucking his thumb like a little kid. I mean, what would y'all think if you saw me at Walmart standing out in the front just sucking on my thumb? Oh, something wrong with him. That's a grown man sucking on his thumb. That's the equivalent to what we're talking about. Going back, living under law, a place of spiritual immaturity, bondage, weak, beggarly elements. Oh, we're going to get together Saturday night. We're going to set up the, 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 the room. Just We're going to set up what was just exactly in the temple. The showbread, the, the lampstand, the, the other things that were in there. We're going to set all that up. And, man, we're just going, we're going to draw close to God. If you'll come and get with us in that room, you'll just draw close to God. Let me, you ain't going to draw close to God because you can't under the law. It's okay to, to if we want to turn this room into the temple and set up every. It's okay, as long as our faith doesn't is not in us coming in this room, us touching the lampstand, us thinking we got to be in this room. Listen, that's law, and sometimes we can be doing things. And, and I've heard people say, I, "I, you know, I was doing this, and I went to this place, and boy, I just stepped into a greater anointing, a great presence of God." Let me tell you something: the only place to be in the presence of God is through faith in the blood. Because under the law, which is not just the Ten Commandments, the law could be something as simple. They, the Galatians were struggling with going back and being lied to about being circumcised, keeping the law of Moses. Our legalistic attitude today is put out there by many preachers. I used to be one of them. Oh, don't read that book. You can only read that book. Oh, don't go there. You can only go there. Do this. Don't do that. Just all these regulations, and we are just get all confused and nervous, and I just, I just don't know what to do. That's law. That's legalism. I can tell you, if you want to find deliverance from that whatever sinful thing that is, that if you'll do these three things, and they could be church attendance, giving tithes and offerings, and studying the Word, good things that we all should be doing. But if I tell you your deliverance is going to come when you start doing those three things, I put a law out there before you. It's a law. If you've got to do it to get deliverance, that's a law. If you've got to believe what Christ did to get deliverance, that's grace. Ain't no need to go back under... The beggarly elements, praise God. Mm. But when the fullness of the time was come, notice he's referring in verse 2, he says, under tutors and governors until the appointed, the time appointed of the Father. And then in verse 4 he calls it, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman made under the law. That's powerful. Remember what we read a while ago that Jesus was made. Let's go back over there in Hebrews. I want to read this and get it right today. It's so good. Hebrews 7 verse 16 says, talking about this one that was not, that was not made after the law, 
verse 16, who is made not after the law. Jesus was, the Bible says, He was made under the law, but He wasn't molded and made after the law. Look at this. Who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Jesus is our new high priest. He's our Lord, Redeemer, and Savior. And He's not like the old covenant priesthood that were under a carnal commandment, the law. But His priesthood, His priesthood is made after an endless life. There will never need to be a trillion, trillion, trillions of years from now, which won't matter to us, time won't matter, but there will never need to be another priest, a great high priest. He is the last Adam. He is the one with an endless life. In the Old Testament, the priest had to keep their sons, their sons' sons, their, their great... Because they kept dying. Jesus never going to die. He died once unto sin, but now forever He lives unto God as our great high priest. So, I wanted to show you that because it says here, Jesus, the, the Son of God, was made of a woman and made under the law. Made of a woman and made under the law. Jesus was made of a woman. He was born of a virgin. He was the promised seed of the woman. Isn't it, isn't it great how God will rebuke the devil? That the devil picked a woman to, to move through, to, to deceive, to, 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 uh, to cause to sin. Adam was deceived, but, but the devil went to her. Lied to her. The devil used the woman. So God says, you know what? I'll use a woman too. I'll bring a woman to bring the one into the picture that will crush your head. That's pretty powerful. <coughs> Jesus was made of a woman. I told you he was born of a virgin. Prophesied some 800 years before. He was the promised seed of the woman. And he was made under the law. And remember what we saw in Hebrews 7, not after the law, but he was made under the law. Jesus was made under the law. He came under the law. Now, Hebrews 2.16, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, says, For verily he, Jesus, took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He was not an angel. People like Mormons teach that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. Lucifer is an angel. Jesus is not an angel. He is creator of all things. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And this Word is the one that created all things. There is nothing that is that was not made by Him. And in verse 14 says... The Word became flesh. That's talking about Jesus. So, He took upon Him the seed of Abraham. That means He was born of a woman, not of a man. Think about that. Adam in the garden, and our last Adam Christ, the reason they're called Adam is because they're the two men that God put on the earth without the reproduction process. The first Adam formed of the dust of the ground. God breathed life into him, and he became a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, was not born of a, of a man, reproduct, reproducted by a man, just like the first Adam wasn't. He was God in the flesh, the Son of God, and born of a virgin without man. And He was not a living soul. He's a life-giving Spirit. Think about that for a minute. The Bible says Jesus is a life-giving Spirit. You might need to take that home with you and think about that. He wasn't a living soul. He was a life-giving Spirit. That's powerful. There's probably a lot to that if you dig off into it. But he's the last Adam. There won't be another one. That's why there's been two men that God put on the earth to represent him. The first Adam 
sinned and no longer represented God, became a sinner. That's why we're all born sinners like we are, because we're in Adam. And Jesus taught, you got to get out of Adam, Nicodemus. you got to be born again. You've got to be John chapter 3. You've got to be born again. You are dead in sins and trespasses, separated from your God. You must get out of that because in that you are dead and separated. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Amen. So God sent His second representative man, Jesus Christ, born of a woman. Not formed, not created, because He is the Creator. Mm. Hallelujah. He wasn't formed, He wasn't created. I don't care what false religion and cults say. Jesus was not created. He had always been and is Creator. He became man because man could not do what men needed to do. We could not save ourselves. We were sinners. And a sinner, guilty, stained, uh, shameful, fearful, cannot save ourselves. There was no fix for us by us. So God had to become a man. He sent His Son, the Word made flesh. And He wasn't formed of the dust of the ground. He was born of a woman made under the law. He came and He was under law, just like the Jewish nation. He had to do everything, every jot, every tittle. And He said He did not come to do away with the law. He didn't come to destroy it. He said, I came to fulfill it. And He came and fulfilled the law. And He said, not one jot or tittle will pass away. That means not one dot, not one comma, not anything. And all the writings of the law will pass away until it all be fulfilled. Hallelujah, that's good news. But it will all be fulfilled in Him. Now I'm going to tell you something this morning. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you hadn't. Jesus was the only man to ever live that lived under law, and lived by grace without sin. That's powerful. You and I have a choice. We're under law or we're under grace. And you and I can hopscotch back and forth underneath both. We saw that in Peter in chapter 2. God placed us under grace when He was able to deliver us from under the law. But we can go back and forth. We can all of a sudden believe somebody's lies. Peter did about the the legalists, the Judaizers coming from James' church. And fear gripped his heart. And he, he left grace and went back to law. That's obvious. But thank God there was somebody that God could use to rebuke him in love and minister to him about justification again and bring him back. But Jesus... Was, was, he was, look at what the Bible says. He was made of a woman and made under the law. He was circumcised on the eighth day. You'll find it in your Bibles. Everything that the Jewish people had to do, every rite, every ceremony, every ritual, everything, he walked it out. Even when other folks was backsliding, even when the other Jewish people uh, were not doing this and doing that for the wrong reason, Jewish, Jesus rather, not Jewish, Jesus was fulfilling every day of his life. Every day of his life, he was fulfilling the law. In all his life. He's the only man that ever lived under law by grace without sin. We were born under law. Guilty of sin. He was born in a time and he was made under law. But he was not a sinner when he showed up like we were. He wasn't born reproduced by another man. All men who are reproduced by another man are sinners. And that means even Mary, my Catholic friends. Mary was reproduced by a sinful man. Therefore, being born a sinner in the family of Adam, and she had to believe in Christ, even though God used her to bring him, it wasn't Joseph that brought Jesus on board. It was the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And we'll get more into this next week. I've enjoyed myself this week.
This is great teaching here in the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, and not only to them, but to you and me today. And God can use His Word, this very letter, to bring you back to the path of justification if you've wandered off of it. You may be saved, may have been saved 40 years, but are you still in the path of the just? Because the path of the just and the path of the righteous, the path of righteousness is one and the same. You're righteous before God in Christ Jesus through your faith in His sacrifice. You've been justified by your faith in Christ Jesus. But are you walking on that path through that same faith? That's the question we all have to answer. Because if our faith is in anything other than the cross, we're not on the path of the just. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. I love you. And until next week, stay determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified.